the theme for the afternoon uh, talk is in fact a response to uh, one of the questions that uh, one of you asked I'd like to explore that and the question was is uh, insight meditation referred to as vipassana in the east is vipassana a psychology so I'd like to endeavor to explore uh, the general approach uh, with you keeping it of course out of the theory and down to earth down to actual director practice uh, there and on a, a step-by-step uh, basis so just with the wording for a, a moment or two the word uh, vipassana gets translated rather accurately in fact as uh, insight insight the vipassana word v that means to double or half and pasa pasana is having contact with so in other words when there are moments of seeing clearly moments of realization moments of vipassana that is an insight which comes to us which is revealed to us quite often in the tradition the word vipassana is associated with methods and techniques and forms but that is a traditional usage uh, the buddha's priority and emphasis as here too is one of the meditations through the day are a contribution towards calmness and insight an aspect not the biggest aspect a useful aspect an important aspect is the psychology making reference here to the heart and mind in its relationship to the experience of meditation and in the looking uh, into this the issue of the i and the my is one of the vital areas of importance in the meditation and in mindfulness so step by step um initially and in the ex- uh, human experience we give ourselves the uh, description of being uh, human beings so the very word human being is a rather an umbrella concept for a diversity or a collection of factors heart mind body consciousness which give shape to our life sometimes some of our beloved scholars have uh, like to use the word um, homo sapiens homo yes yes human yes can handle that just about sapiens wisdom i'm not so sure about seems to be 
rather an infrequent phenomena in our species and we might be a little bit more honest with ourselves if we started off and regarded ourselves as homo ignoramus and that might generate a little bit of humility from which we could begin to work towards some wisdom uh, in life and if you have any doubt take a good look at the world we are living in so in the exploration of the human being as a general label which we ascribe to our species we can look a little deeper shall we say or underneath all of that and say well what is it I am composed of what is it that forms me together again there are many ways to look at this and in the teachings five uh, primary areas are uh, offered which are worthy of our exploration and in the worthiness of the exploration it's simply uh, because easily through experience the world or the construct of I and my lands on these five areas to varying degrees so the five composites, the five aggregates, the five collections which form us together which are worthy of mindfulness and meditating on one is the body my goodness me how quickly and easily the self, that means the I and the my lands on the body in fact strictly speaking all the views and opinions we have about ourself, meaning in this case our body, is because we're not really in touch with it. What we are in touch with again and again is the image of the body. Not actually with the experience of it, vibrations, sensations, uh, elements, it's the image. And the image is not the truth. The image is the deceptive, the image is the false. And we have become spellbound with the image. And it's on the image that all the likes and the dislikes, the approvals and the disapprovals uh, which uh, take place on the image. And so sometimes we'll uh, look in the mirror hopefully not first thing in the morning, it's not the best time of the day to do that. And we look in the mirror at the beginning of the day, we see in the mirror the image. We even look at ourselves with the eyes, which is only one way of contacting ourselves, and the image arises, and how easily various aspects of the body, or one or two of them, we don't like, we disagree prove of, we think we're not very beautiful or handsome or this or that, don't want the aging process and all these images arise and for them to arise the self, the I and my, has to land in the image. And of course as we know, I don't need to go into all of this, is the uh, um, <coughs> uh, uh, the uh, industry the uh, 
industry of so-called self-improvement or the, the operations and all the physical changes and uh, much, much more. And some people say to me, oh, Christopher, I had this uh, uh, operation, it cost me a fortune, and now I feel much better about myself, whatever that um, event may have, operation may have been uh, about, the, the, the beauty industry. But the object, and feeling better about that, it's the subject which is the issue. It will very easily just switch, move over, in due course, to something else I don't like about myself. There's no peace of mind that way, not any, any depth. So, in our relationship to uh, the body, there's the importance of love, and love in relationship to the body is in three or four areas. One of those, of course, is diet, it's respect, it's sensitivity, it's listening to uh, uh, the body. The second important area is exercise, is movement. As human beings, we need the movement to stretch the limbs out, to engage in breathing where the oxygen has a chance to really permeate the cells very, very deeply, to really use forms of movement and exercise and diet. And the third uh, would be posture. So we say, well, love has to find it is a kind of vehicle. It manifests itself, in this case, in the expression of uh, respect, it's an action of caring for, it is a looking after. And that relationship to that, uh, and the cultivation of develop and development uh, of that, contributes to the reduction of living in the image. One has learned to living with the fact, learning to be with the, the truth of the body. So, when we're caught up, we will catch it more quickly and easily when there is a departure from the direct relationship to the body and we find ourselves making all manner of judgments either about ourselves, physically in this case, or about others. Then we know we've lost the plot. Then we know we're out of touch. Then we know, whoa, living in the image, this is detachment. Hardly surprising that an important aspect of the Buddha's teachings is the ending of, de of detachment. Not, as we sometimes hear, it is a teaching of detachment. It's not. It's a teaching of the end of it. And therefore to be really clear and wise and skillful, in this case in relationship to the body. The eye and the my, in its landing uh, on it, very easily, and this is the primary cause for the condition of um, alienation or of the image, when the eye and my lands on the body, yeah, it very easily, it doesn't have to, but very, very easily identifies with it. Very, very, very 
strong, rather compelling identification with the body. The self identifies with it. And that identification with it, which is the clinging and the holding and the compelling need uh, uh, in that way, will bring about and trigger all the countless views about it. And those countless views really can give us a really hard time. And we're here to find respect and care for and love for and support for. Quite a different kind of relationship from being identified with and uh, holding on to. In the process uh, of that, in the meditations themselves, The switch also can take place, and it is to be mindful of this, when the switch switches over from I am the body, such as the language I am sitting here, the I can't sit, never could, never did. The I doesn't know sitting, the body knows sitting, feelings do not know sitting, perceptions do not know sitting, states of mind Consciousness, it's the I, it's the body which takes that formation. And to give the body mindfulness with the care and respect I spoke to towards the body, it is to shift the relationship away from myself, or as the tradition will say, not self, see it so well and clearly that there is a clear understanding which will bring the calmness this body does not belong to me it's not mine I didn't create it I didn't ask for it I didn't ask to be born didn't ask to have these parents I've had some other parents most of us and um, what else um, I didn't ask to be male female heterosexual homosexual bisexual whatever it might be, didn't ask to be tall, didn't ask to be short, didn't ask to be white, didn't ask to be black. So here, the, the formations of life come in the dynamics of event, and here is this physical life, growing and changing. I didn't ask to grow up, didn't ask to grow old, didn't ask to look forward to death or whatever. All of this process is uh, going on, and somehow the self has got this false idea, this is mine. Oh dear. Is it any wonder there is such terror of death? Because one feels one's going to lose what even is not one's in the first place. What an error of judgment. And so if we look without the eye, nothing very special about it, we look without the eye, we look without the my, my body, my life, my leg, my arm, we look without the eye and the my, which is required for the image, we get intimately close with the body, what is that which we experience? Nature. 
elements, vibrations, sensations, cells, DNA, a wave in the ocean of existence, a formation, a sitting form with consciousness and life. We begin to experience it without the eye and mind. Not as a warped idea, not as some something you and I dreamt up. We begin to see it as the elements of life, imbued with consciousness. They're not corpses, it's imbued with consciousness. And we can bring consciousness, expand it, we can call it mindfulness, to this living phenomena called the body and learn to see it as not self, not I, not my, intimate, close, caring and respectful. And therefore nothing to giving ourselves a hard time over. It's one of the most significant and beautiful changes that a human being could ever make to their existence. It's that important. And it's a tragedy, the exploitation of humans, totally for commercial purposes, to make a profit out of it, to make us feel not good enough. So you have to go and buy this and buy that. Let's go into any magazine shop. Went into one in uh, uh, Germany with a friend. So while the person was buying something, there were around 2,000 magazines in that shop. 2,000 of them. And the majority of them had some beautiful face on the cover. <laughs> That's an image. And why is it that these exceptionally beautiful faces on the cover we don't see them on the street, or very rarely, or in the meditation hall, for that matter. <laughs> because we haven't got the hairdresser, and the beautician, and the soft lighting, and the expensive clothes, and everything possible, and Photoshop. We are not walking Photoshop. So all of that is to generate an image. And what's the consequence of that image? We don't feel very beautiful. We've been in too many magazine stores. We've watched too many wretched Hollywood films. We've got an image. And we, nobody, not even the people on the cover of those magazines can match up to that image. Ask the models, they'll tell you. A deceptive, monstrous world that we live in. It's corrupt because it prefers the image. We've been led to believe the image is more important than the truth, than love, than the connection. That's what we're up against. In the exploration, Gosh, I'm just starting. <clears throat> um, it's the feeling world. Feeling world is a beautiful world. It would be rather nice if we called ourselves human feelings. We remind us of something a little rather, rather deep. Yeah. 
And again, with the, the feeling life, the clearest kind of truth of this is to say there are these feelings. What a nice issue. Make a little shift. Rather than, oh, I am feeling, or my feelings, can be used, but carefully and mindfully, make a little shift, there are these feelings. And there's no cutting off or detachment from them. We are here to get really intimate and close with the human field, the human, our human existence. We're not withdrawing. It's an embodied existence, a, a, an embodied practice, not a detached one, as I mentioned. Let me feel. I'll take the me out of this. Let's feel. Let's just feel. Do you think to be really close, like wooden trees, to be close with this thing. Both the range of the pleasant, the unpleasant and in between, to really to, to feel close. And one of the reasons for that, which might be helpful, though our feelings are genuinely precious and are important, Perhaps they're not as difficult, our feelings, as we think them to be. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I feel so much with a lot of anguish, and my feelings, they really give me a hard time, etc. So the view, when it's difficult, can arise in the consciousness it has a view about the feelings and the view gives additional authority to the feeling oh, I, feel, God, I, I feel so bad I feel, I feel so guilty I feel so angry so the feeling is challenging and difficult agreed but the reaction is a bigger problem the view of is the bigger issue. And if we don't have this intensity of reaction in the view, feelings, picnic, the drama, not quite a picnic, you know, you get, you get the point. The drama of the feeling life is not all of it, of course, but significantly influenced by the view of the feeling. And when the view of the feeling has got I and my in it strongly, uh, in terms of the identification, we fail to realize that intensifies the feeling. The I and the my and the reaction against it. Can we experience a really difficult emotion. Not denying it. Not saying, oh my gosh, if I don't have a view about it, 
it's, it's all going to be a holiday camp inside. But there may be the raw experience of strong feeling and emotion which is arising. If I'm not giving a hard, reactive, painful view about it, that will take some of the pressure off that emotion and it will provide some opportunity for us, either in our aloneness or in the good counsel of the wise, another human being, it will give us the opportunity to be able to deal and handle and work with it. But it's extremely difficult to work with intense feelings and intense emotions when the reaction and the language, I've never felt like this in my life if I feel so bad, I feel so unhappy. Yeah. That lands with the self, lands in the middle. And then we wonder why we're struggling. Why it seems such hard work to get out of it. Why we need to keep working on ourselves. And because we have the idea that the view of the experience is true. We have the idea that that interpretation I have of what I'm experiencing with the I and the my uh, involved in it is the reality. It's not. It's the problem. It's come out of the stress. It's emerged, it's part of the contraction. So there's a contraction, the contraction releases a reactive view, the self is in, caught up in that, and whoa, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. And so sometimes, when we're going through the hard time with the emotions and the feelings, if it's a bit too close, we do benefit and require the good support, whether from meditation teachers and the mindfulness teachers and the psychotherapists and the psychologists and the, the good friends and people with some experience and insight and so forth and whole networks of people who can be a real good support because they have some space around the, that experience that one is having. So sometimes we need their good support and counsel in working with that. Sometimes we feel there's enough space, I like yeah, actually it's possible to work with, work with this and perhaps occasionally connect in or tap in with the other or others there. So we, so we wish to be clear. There is the intensity of the experience. There is the view that goes with it. The first question we might ask ourselves is, yeah, not easy, what is another way of looking at this strong emotion which is not the typical old reactive way? What's another way to relate to this? And this finding another way 
is called love. Finding another way is called uh, respect. It's called the exercising of one's quiet authority to find another way. And in finding another way, perhaps we can relate to the emotion or the experience as it is, rather than how I imagine it is, how I have decided it is. And then there's the potential for things to open up. In summary, this is the psychology of Dharma. Sometimes I say to my dear friends in the West, much which I appreciate in psychology, there are some who I love dearly, Carl Jung I regard as a, a Buddha of the West, a huge fan of his voice and his writings and much more. Um, but uh, my general view sometimes is, in psychology are the new kids on the block in the Dharma world, in the world. And the Dharma psychology has got two and a half thousand years of this exploration. It's got a bit seasoned. So, nevertheless, humility says, <laughs> so one doesn't get conceited. There is much which we can learn from each other. There's much wonderful things that the psychologists and the psychotherapists and the facilitators and the counsellors and the social workers and many, many others, many of you here in the hall, have uh, to offer and to be receptive and hopefully you might like to learn a little bit from the Dharma world. It's got a good background. Has it been thought up by this swallow sitting here? We come to perceptions, number three here. And again, just to, to, to recap, though I'm touching upon the hard spots today, if you don't mind, um, tomorrow we'll deal with happiness and joy and love. It's there. I haven't forgotten that area of the feelings. But I promise you, tomorrow <laughs> that's what we'll be engaged in. So today it's all misery. All right. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but... So, in the perceptions, <laughs> there. the word perception, I'll put the uh, language hat on for a moment, uh, uh, forgive me. <clears throat> the word in the Pali is sanya, nice word, S-A-N-N-A. It's translated as perception. But its root meaning isn't that. It's like this word samadhi that we were talking about the other, the other day. It gets translated as concentration. Samadhi is that composure, that steadiness, that stillness, and uh, quiet clarity of the being. This is what samadhi is. It's not being able to concentrate on an object. Rather similarly with sanya, sanya gets translated as perception. But its actual meaning is this is the way something is being seen now. It's not like, oh, perception, it's all that, that's how I see things. It's, like, it's not like that, some permanent entity, oh, oh, that's my perception. 
It's the way something is being perceived, something is being seen now. Uh, there. And so we know our perceptions change. We may have a perception of ourself. We may look at this perception of ourselves and say, this perception I have about myself is really unsatisfactory. It's not very helpful. It's some old conditioning, it's perhaps some, from old, some old story, it's just not working, just having the, the way I look at myself, the way I perceive myself, the way I imagine others perceive me. Therefore the sanya, the, this is the way it is being looked at now. So therefore there is a flexibility with the perception. Of course there is. And in that uh, change, it quietly making the shift over, is there another way to look at myself? Other, more plural, are there other ways to look at myself which is not problematic? To give you a small uh, example with the retreat, sometimes, if I say to a person, what is it that you don't like about yourself? And would you like to make a little time and get a pen and paper and write all the things that you don't like about your, your, yourself? And sometimes people say, Christopher, there's not a notebook big enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's slightly in humour, but. And, uh, but, but if I say to a person, write down all that which you appreciate about yourself, one thing after, like bullet points, just write down all the things that you appreciate. And sometimes a person has said, I get to one or two, <laughs> and then I get stuck. <laughs> I'm so used to looking at the dark side, at the shadows of my self. I'm so used to doing that. I just can't imagine there's anything, any good about me. I just, I get one, 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 one or two, you know, like, well, I got up this morning for the yoga. But that was about <laughs> it for today. <laughs> so we need a, a shift. And the shift is liberating. It's a shift from the old habitual ways, which the karma of the old, the sankaras of the old, the formations of the old, to fresh perceptions, fresh ways of looking. In the initial period of a fresh way of looking at something, it will not seem true. The mind, in its habit, will just desperately want to get back to the old miserable me because it's so familiar. There's a bizarre, weird comfort in feeling that I'm hopeless, or I don't do anything, or I, I'm, I, or I believe my parents who keep saying to me, well, what are you doing with your life? And when my parents 
used to say that to me. I would look at my parents, I mean, I wouldn't say it because I'm English, I'm polite, but I would think, what have you done with yours? <laughs> but anyway, I love them very much, but <laughs> etc. I don't think parents are the best authority for our lives, to be honest. Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a view. Anyway, so sometimes there is the old, there is the exploration there, and as I said, it can seem a little bit theoretical because the view which has been upheld for a long, long time has feelings in it, and feelings give it the sense of the real. That's what feelings do. So, if the view, a fresh perception is stated, but at the moment there's no feeling connected with it, so it seems theoretical, it seems abstract, and therefore it seems to be a lie. I'm just telling myself uh, that I'm a a human being, and I'm a worthy human being, I have the right to be on this earth as much as anybody else, and there's much to uh, appreciate, etc. But for that, to get into the real, it's got to go deep. And to go deep, it's got to connect with the feelings. Otherwise, it's going to be abstract. And for it to connect with the feeling, it has to be developed. And for it to be developed, it's going to require some trust and faith that this abstract theoretical view, which is a fresh one, might require some time to run deeper. Run so deep that one can say, yes, this is love. This is love which can show itself to oneself, so to speak, to others, uh, so to speak. This is love which can show itself in gratitude and appreciation and kindnesses and compassion and service and, and presence and much, much more. And when the feeling element links in with the perception and with the body, it gets embodied. And then the perception gets embodied deeper and deeper. It becomes the norm. And one can look back at the time and remember, wow, there was a time when I really didn't like myself. There was a time when I was never felt good enough There was a time when I was constantly comparing myself with others and imagining, imagining that others are better off than I am. And I've come out of those old perceptions. I've been patient. I've explored what it is to perceive. I've cultivated receptivity, connectedness. I've been patient to have new ways of looking at things. And I've been patient enough to let that go to those feelings which are deep in the being. And then one can say, with hand on heart, I remember how it was, that has now changed, and I feel much more, feel much more to be an embodied human being and to know the power of love. Quite something. We have this beautiful potential for this. Beautiful potential to be truly loving human beings. And the Buddha's 
response uses the word metta, M-E-T-T-A. It's translated in the tradition as loving-kindness. It does mean that, but it means more than that. It means love. It means friendship. So in the various applications of love, including romantic love, including love between others, love for creativity, love for the creatures, love for life, and it includes friendship with life, with oneself. And it includes loving-kindness, those magnificent gestures that we can offer to ourselves, our being, which we call ourselves, um, and to other expressions of life as well. And then it said, this love is immeasurable. What that means is, in the freeing up of the being, in the fresh perceptions like I just spoke to you about, there is no limit to the capacity to love. And therefore it goes in all directions. There is no self and other. There is no putting myself first and putting others after. That the love is not divideable. And teachings point to, and the great doorway is, liberation through love. But it gives us incredible significance. Liberation through love. How are we doing? <laughs> to go nearly there. So, next one is samkara. That's the Pali word. Sam, <clears throat> coming together, samadhi, kara, activity. Activities which come together. The meaning of samkara. So, there's an activity which this body, this form, is the samkara. This voice, an activity which has come together to form words, which come out of the uh, mouth and possibly land in one of two ears. Samkara is the movement of the inner life. It's an activity which comes together. In fact, all that which we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, whatever, it's all a samkara. This is this is the, this, uh, what is it, bed, it's the samkara, and uh, the, all the items, they're all samkaras. Activities in the field come together, it's coming together. One of the important ones, of course for us, is the samkaras called states of mind. From the shallow and the superficial, to the calm and the clear, to the, the, the depths of um, absorptions, all varieties of human experience which we can have access to. And mindfulness and meditation is bringing consciousness, mindfulness to be aware. And in that, in the day, as mentioned, really 
looking at the samkaras, the formations of the heart and mind states through the day. In the difficult ones, because I'm going on and on about the difficult today, so in the difficult ones that uh, arise uh, uh, there, because it's a samkara, means an activity which has gone on, which has formed together. It's got no essence to it, it's formed together. And it's forming together makes it very vulnerable. Dharma psychology here at its best. So, in its vulnerability, it's formed together. It only means taking one small thing out of it and it crashes. One small thing and it can't hold up together. So if one took out of it the clinging and the holding, if one took out of it the viewpoint, took out of it the belief system that goes with it, took out of it the memory there. Just one little change in the whole structure of that formation, which is problematic, one little pull, like a house of cards, to pull, and it can't hold together. Mindfulness is to find the card at the bottom, to pull, and the whole thing collapses. That's all. That's why it's called liberation. The liberating uh, teaching. It's a little bit, some of you, I, I hope it's a long, long time ago, but some of you, like myself, uh, used to smoke. More than one kind of plant, I might add. <laughs> but anyway. In fact, I haven't had a, a joint. Last joint I had, I remember very well, with some Indonesian hippies, 1970s, early 1970. And then a few months later, I put on the, had my head shaved and put on the orange curtains. Yeah, so that was the last, uh, last uh, joint. So anyway, coming back to the cigarettes for the, uh, uh, the moment. <clears throat> One can have all the whole thing composed together. <coughs> One's got the tobacco or the joint, whichever your preference, or a bit of both. There, you've got what have you got? You've got the matches. You've got the, the mind and the body, and uh, you've got some of the intention or whatever it might be. And you can put the cigarette in the mouth. You can take the matches. There, you can light it and you have the match there, it still requires that. And if that doesn't happen, it's finished, it's over with. But it doesn't have to be that. You can have the cigarettes there, you can, you can put the cigarette in your mouth, you go, but you haven't lit the end. You haven't got the matches to light the end. So it doesn't work. So, it's finding the one thing which holds something together, that's samkara, the activity which holds together, uh, there, which needs to go. 
And sometimes people on the retreat say, oh, Christopher, I've got so much going on inside of me. I've really got to let go. Hopeless. The mind, with its imagination, has made something appear so big, it's very hard to let go. It seems so big. We've got to and then we can't let go because we imagine it's such a big thing to let go of. We need our mindfulness. We need a little calmness, a little interest, a little bit more care. What is it in this house of cards, this samkara, that needs a little change for the whole thing to collapse? That's all. It's not big, it's subtle. And finally, finally, I've got the watch on. So finally, finally is the consciousness. If I may say, three or four nights ago when I arrived here, these things, you know, some of the interesting things of life happen unexpectedly. So, lay down on the uh, lovely bed. I left home on the uh, I think it was Sunday night of uh, February as you all know a little bit of settling in then lay down on the bed and about three o'clock in the three o'clock in the morning I woke up and the first slightly my woke up and the first thought was neuroscience nothing else neuroscience and had this um, idea that I was going that I'm going to write um, an essay, essay is a polite word for a polemic, a critique mildly dogmatic but nevertheless on the fundamental problem of neuroscience because I keep hearing this word neuroscience uh, 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 even from my meditating uh, friends and even worse from the teachers uh, and the fundamental problem in Christopher's view I have to say that the perception might change is but what about consciousness that's the problem so there is uh, the brain, and there are the, what should we call it, neurons and the DNA and the outpourings and uh, uh, But what about consciousness? The real problem, those who make the brain at the centre. Uh, so, lift up the laptop lid, da -da -dun, da -da -dun, da -da -dun, yeah, and a bit more. And so far, 2,800 words. <laughs> I'm about halfway. So, after the retreat or whenever, I'll finish it, finish it up. More importantly than Christopher and his writing, what's more important is that consciousness is able to reveal the object. That's important. Without consciousness, we would just be forms of reactivity, emerging out of the brain. Unacceptable and simplistic viewpoint in my perception. And therefore we can be conscious of. And this consciousness of 
there helps to reveal, it helps to show. And in its showing and in its uh, revealing, we're shedding light upon that. And the cultivation of consciousness, one aspect is mindfulness and meditation, and a wonderful scientist doing precious and, in, and important work, as long as it's totally ethical. As long as it's ethical. Yeah. To understand the dynamics in the material world, but all our beloved scientists, they also need to be conscious, which is what consciousness is. You can't dismiss it. can't marginalise it. can't forget it. Because the consciousness is revealing them and us to do what we do. So here, meditation in a way, in a way, is coming back to consciousness. It is being a conscious human being of the body, conscious human being of the feelings, conscious human being of the perceptions, conscious human beings of the formations of heart, mind, speech and body and more and sometimes just resting in consciousness that means being open and expansive which I'll talk to you about in days ahead there, without any primary object understand? so first day or two conscious of the breath we call it mindfulness conscious of the body not my body the body, with care and love and respect. Consciousness of what the feelings are, being close to them, watching the view about perceptions, formations, and so forth. So, just in uh, conclusion uh, uh, here uh, with you, do being with the breath and with the body, being mindful of the I and my, and Quite often and quite usefully and beneficially, it is quite okay to say, I am sitting here and you are sitting there. It doesn't have to be any ego. We're just using I as a shorthand for this heart, mind and body. That's all. It's a shorthand. It's a nice short single letter in the English. Uh, or we sometimes say, oh, this is my whatever, recorder, a shawl, or whatever it might be. We're free to use the I and my, but we know when it's got something problematic about it.